largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains... Alternative facts? Look, alternative facts are not facts. They're falsehoods. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. What we heard there was a number of outlandish statements that were made by the Donald Trump administration just in the few first few hours of its infancy here in uh, the United States. Uh, Sean Spicer, the press secretary for Donald Trump, came out Saturday after seeing the coverage of inauguration on Friday and said, hey, uh, the numbers that people are saying in terms of the people who were there on the mall, the photos that were showed, ah, that's not right. There was a lot more people involved in this. And then Kellyanne Conway, an aide to the president, came out Sunday on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd and said Sean Spicer was using alternative facts. He was spouting a truth of his own. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this, of course, out of a White House, out of a presidential administration. And we must spend a good part of the show today talking about that, the notion of alternative facts, the notion of truth, the notion of purposeful lying on the part of uh, government officials and their aides uh, as a way of distracting or as a way of manipulating the public. And of course, we want to hear from you. Uh, lots of people talking about this all over social media, of course. Uh, you want to join the conversation this morning here, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we will get your comments into the conversation. Talk about this idea of alternative facts. Uh, I think the nomenclature here is one of the things that's very odd. This is just lying, old-fashioned fibbing. Why are we calling it alternative facts? Why is uh, everyone accepting that as the way we ought to describe this? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. And joining me now to talk about what this looks like from inside the White House is Glenn Thrush, a White House correspondent for The New York Times. Glenn, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so I understand you were not there on Saturday uh, in the in the press room. No, I- interestingly enough, my credentials, I used to be chief political correspondent for Politico, and I covered the White House for many years for Politico during the Obama administration. <laughs> credentials, my security credentials, were not cleared in time. And actually, that will, I think, be one of the ongoing issues in terms of who, who, who they will provide security clearances to to get into the building and how expeditiously they will provide them. Yeah, so uh, I'm sorry, your phone was breaking up there as you were saying that. Can you can you repeat what, what happened with your credentials? Oh, no. It, it, all I'm saying is uh, I was not able to get because my, my credentials uh, from my previous organization I see. Uh, didn't convey right. uh, to the Times, so it took them a, uh, it's taking them a little longer, and I, I, <laughs> again, I'm not imputing any motive here. Right, no. To have cleared me through security to get into the White House. And this is a time when the uh, Sean Spicer and the new regime over there has talked openly about restricting access. So I right. think that is another thing that we're going to have to watch. A colleague of mine, Maggie Haberman, with whom I wrote a story about this today, uh-huh. recently found herself mysteriously dropping off the White House email distribution list. So she doesn't get it press releases anymore uh, for the first time in, in eight years. So in addition to kind of uh, Sean's. <laughs> 
<laughs> less than impressive first day performance there, which reminded me of kind of the, the opening to a uh, to a pro wrestling match. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be trying to do any number of things to keep us on our back foot. Yeah. Uh, what, what I really want to talk to you about is the press corps itself. Uh, you know, most people, I think when you watch on TV and you see these interactions between uh, uh, the press secretary, whoever that is, and, and, and the press, uh, you get one impression. Being in that room, uh, which which I have as a journalist, um, you get a very different sense of that, how intimate it is, how small that room is, and how the people who are there, um, you know, uh, become part of the fabric of of the White House. I mean, this is not a giant press corps, uh, not the people with the permanent hard passes, as we would uh, call them in Washington. Yeah, mostly the job's boring. Yeah. I mean, the people who hang out in the White House, Typically, on any given day, you walk into the, into the press room. The people who live there permanently are network technical people, sound people, camera folks, producers for radio, people who are following the incremental developments of the presidency. <clears throat> We're talking the folks who are responsible, and you heard at the top of the hour, for the kind of reports out. who did he just meet with, you rush over to see if he can't get comment. It is a very, very work-a-day job, you know, and people tend to either glamorize it or demonize it. In the press briefings, so, so that's the reality of it. In the press briefings that take place typically, with the exception of Spicer on Saturday, uh, tend to be normal, no comment kind of briefings. In fact, over the years with Obama, people stopped going. I stopped going to a lot of them. You just couldn't get them to, to say anything interesting. I think that's going to change. Uh, are you still there, Glenn? I am. Can you uh, hear me? Yeah, you're, you're sort of your phone is fading in and out. Uh, if you I'm can talk, make sure to talk directly in it, I think it'll it'll, I am. it'll help uh, a it little. Must be the reception. Yeah, this it's. Um, I think we're having a reception problem. Uh, so talk about what uh, the reaction has been among this this press corps. And again, uh, these are people who pretty much uh, spend their lives there in the White House, uh, not in the briefing room, but in the offices. Uh, that are that are uh, that are there for the press, uh, you know, in that little that little clo- closeted room uh, where you're all sort of packed in there. Um, what's the reaction to what happened Saturday, and what what is the reaction uh, going forward? I mean, is there a is there talk among press uh, there in the White House about what the response ought to be? Well, there oughtn't to be a response. Uh, what we saw, I just want to make it really clear. Sean Spicer, who I've known for a decade as a Republican, uh, as a Republican spokesperson and strategist, uh-huh. and who is in his personal life and in my previous interactions with him, professional and friendly and a good guy, um, uh, I think delegitimized his position at the podium from the minute that he opened up his mouth. You know, I... I don't think it has anything to do with our relationship with anybody. We didn't get to ask a damn question. He stomped out uh, before uh, questions could be asked. Four of the five facts that he asserted were verifiably false. Boom. I've been covering White Houses for a while. Uh, Press secretaries dodge, they evade, they dissemble. I can't recall in my collective however many years, going back a decade of covering various White Houses, any one of those falsehoods being as demonstrably, uh, uh, demonstrably provably false. Uh-huh. And, it, you know, he did, he did four of them. I couldn't remember one that ranked that. So if on your first day in the job where you're the guy who's supposed to be giving information to people, you know, you have an, a 20% accuracy <laughs> rate in terms of what you're saying, 
I'm sorry, that's on him. It's not. It's not about our relationship. Guy came out, said stuff. Uh, you know, I think it falls short of uh, the L word because perhaps he was misinformed. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he's got something to prove now, not us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Glenn Thrush. He's a White House correspondent for The New York Times. We're talking about the Donald Trump administration's uh, early hours in the relationship with the press. Sean Spicer, uh, this, the, the press secretary for the administration, came out Saturday, uh, held a press conference, his first in the briefing room in the White House. No, and it was not a press We should just say it was not a press conference. It was not a press conference. conference. He, it was, he a statement refused to right. take questions. He didn't so even take questions. First news briefing. Yeah, right. A news briefing uh, in which he asserted things that were just not so. And they were about uh, the size of the crowd, uh, the coverage of Donald Trump's inauguration on Friday. Uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019. You want to join the conversation. Talk about this idea of lying uh, the way that Sean Spicer did to the press on Saturday. Talk about what Kellyanne Conway said about it. On Sunday, she said that he was just offering alternative facts, alternative facts, a, a, a very interesting uh, turn of phrase. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Glenn Thrush, I want to thank you for being here. What's the next step? Uh, Sean Spicer is going to have a regular press briefing today, correct? He's going to have a regular uh, press briefing. The chief of staff, Ryan Priebus, over the weekend said that he will actually answer questions. Um, I think the next question here is whether they're going to get their act together. So much of this, and this, this is what I'd leave you with. You know, there's a, sort of a lot of cliches about the interaction mm-hmm. between the White House press corps and the White House. I think a fair number of this, a fair number of these issues have to do with the fact that these are not well-staffed institutions right now. Right. Back when Obama came in, he had a highly professionalized, uh, very integrated, uh, in terms of the, the strategy and the communication staff, the people that we were dealing with were professionals. They would get back to you. They mostly gave you information that was accurate. Um, if not, they would simply wouldn't answer questions. I think the big question here is, is this a reflection of an anti-press, war-at-the-press philosophy that's going to carry through for four years, or are we just seeing growing pains from a team that really didn't expect to be doing these jobs? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a real question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you look at uh, the way things have unfolded through the transition, some of this was probably a little bit predictable. I mean, this is not an administration that has relied on uh, as you point out, the the, the kinds of uh, longstanding professionals who understand how to put things together and build uh, a staff uh, to, to be able to do right, these right. things. Right, and the other thing I want your listeners to really understand, which I don't think necessarily comes through in the coverage, people don't want to work for Donald Trump. <clears throat> and, and that is a very significant issue here. Usually in staffing up White Houses and covering the transition, it was interesting to note the difficulty they were having in staffing up positions that typically in other administrations would have 10 applicants for. Right. There are people who don't want to work for him because they don't view the organization as being functional. They don't think they'll be rewarded for their hard work and their uh, advice. And then there's the simple matter of how many different factions, both in the Democratic and Republican Party, the president alienated. So what, you know, when the Obama folks came in, access, some could say too much access. Right to the collective expertise and professional experience of all the Clinton people. Um, 
the 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 uh, Trump people in a normal state of affairs would have access to the the folks who had worked in the Bush White House who could help them uh, do things functionally. And there's been a couple of those hires. Joe Hagan, as deputy chief of staff, was very mm-hmm. highly regarded as one of them. But in general, it is important to note that regardless of what the president says about putting together the best staff in the history of the White House, <laughs> in fact, he does not have access to to the professional talent that other presidents have had access to. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we will see how that uh, goes today uh, with Sean Spicer and, of course, throughout the week and the next four years. Glenn Thrush, uh, White House correspondent for The New York Times, thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. Great, and sorry for the technical issues. Ah, Have a that's good day. That's all right. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to continue this conversation about alternative facts. Uh, lying from the podium in the White House briefing room, uh, Matt Friedman, principal with Tanner Friedman PR firm, is going to be here to talk about it from a PR perspective. And, of course, stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I am talking this morning about uh, alternative facts, uh, a phrase used by Kellyanne Conway on Meet the Press Sunday, where she used to describe Sean Spicer's words uh, in the White House briefing room on uh, Saturday, where the press secretary for new president, Donald Trump came out and said that the reports about inauguration were false, that the photos that were shown uh, to show the difference in crowd size between uh, this president's inauguration and the last two inaugurations for Barack Obama, he said that's just not so, that more people watched and participated in this inauguration than any inauguration in history. Uh, an extraordinary turn of events uh, by Washington standards, certainly, uh, if you think about the routine nature of uh, coverage of administrations uh, in, in that city. Uh, no one I have spoken with who who is part of that uh, press environment can recall someone saying these things, uh, either in the White House briefing room or on national television, talking that way uh, about uh, coverage, this idea idea of gaslighting has come up as well. I've seen lots of people use that term to, to, term to suggest that what they're doing is purposely trying to manipulate the facts, trying to put people back on their heels or disorient them uh, to, so that they start to question what truth is and what it is not. That's what I want to talk about now. Is this a larger, uh, is there a larger issue here about truth and the value of truth the, the veracity of truth, so to speak. Uh, are there things that are absolutely true that we can agree on uh, in order to have discourse about our politics? Or are we all going to sort of separate and use different facts, different sets of facts to make our conclusions? I think that's a real question in this country right now. I think we saw that play out a lot over the last uh, 12 months or so during the presidential election. Donald Trump's administration seems firmly in the camp of believing that this should go on perhaps permanently, that we should have a running argument or discussion about truth and what is not truth. Kellyanne Conway also said 
Sunday that she believes perhaps the president ought to collect his own intelligence or get someone to do it for him uh, so that he's not relying on the CIA and the NSA and the other branches of our uh, intelligence here in the United States. I don't know that I've ever heard a presidential aide say something like that before. Uh, is this an assault on the truth? Is this an assault on honesty and transparency? Uh, or is it just good old-fashioned politics, uh, which is what I've seen some people suggest? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. And joining me now to talk about what he's seeing uh, from this vantage point here in Detroit, Michigan, with regard to the Trump administration is Matt Friedman, a principal with Tanner Friedman PR for Matt, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Good to be back. I didn't realize I'd be back so soon. I know. We just had you in here talking about uh, uh, these kind of things. Uh, I think Donald Trump is challenging us all to be a little more on our toes. Uh, talk about what you saw this weekend. First from Sean Spicer, who is uh, Donald Trump's press secretary, who I think uh, by all by almost any standard gave an unprecedented briefing on Saturday. And then talk about how it has been handled uh, in the wake of what he said, with Kellyanne Conway coming behind him to sort of frame what he did in this euphemistic way. Well, I refuse to try to explain this as politics PR as usual, and I refuse to rationalize this uh, as others seem to have to come to the defense of what's been going on. As somebody who makes a living in the PR profession here in this market, I believe that we're in the credibility business. And when credibility is undermined for PR as a profession by anybody, it hurts all of us, especially when it happens in the most high-profile job in the world, which could be the White House press secretary. Right. What we saw from Sean Spicer on Saturday night was not PR. It was fascist-style propaganda, and it's frightening. And it really concerns me as somebody who is going to need to make a living and wants to make a living in this business, the way it reflects so abhorrently on what we try to do for our clients day to day. And we try to deal in credibility and in truth. That doesn't mean there aren't different perspectives about facts, but there's only one set of facts. Yeah. And that, this is just the opposite of how we counsel our clients. I think it's the opposite, even in politics, of how most elected officials want to communicate with the media and their constituencies, and it cannot be rationalized away. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that struck me as really strange about what Sean Spicer did was that it was about something that ultimately was quite trivial, uh, what the size of the crowd was at the inauguration on Friday, which I think most people are not spending a lot of time worried about whether Donald Trump had the largest crowd or the smallest crowd or whatever sized crowd. But I think there are people, diehard uh, supporters of the president, who did feel, I think, pretty deeply about it. And it, it was it was pretty clear to me, I think, that, that what Sean Spicer was doing was directed at those people, the people that Donald Trump has relied on uh, from the beginning to sort of propel First is campaign, and now I think that's how they think they will uh, propel the administration. These 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 doubters of the status quo of the establishment. Uh, this was a a sort of gesture, I thought, to them. What did you think of that? 
I, I think you're probably right, and we can speculate a lot of different ways. I can only say based on experience that when something like this happens, and I've had journalists say to me, why, why are you guys, meaning my client, so concerned about this? It's just not that big of a deal. The answer is it always comes from the CEO. And the first thing I thought when I saw Spicer on Saturday night is this was a direct order from the president of the United States to go out in front of the media and say it like this, using those words and that tone. And the, he is the president's spokesperson. And it, it just, it, it all, if you connect all of the dots, this, that's where this came from. That's where this has to come from. Why someone the president or anybody else thought it was a good idea, I think is a matter of speculative debate. But I think it's pretty clear where it came from, given the experience I've had in, in working with CEOs and, and enormous egos in those positions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about what Kellyanne Conway then said on Sunday uh, in a conversation with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press? She framed all of this as just merely a difference of opinion, yeah, that Sean Spicer was using alternative facts as she said to try to sort of communicate his message uh, well, I, that's doubling I'm down i'm happy that became a joke on social media over the weekend because it shows how ridiculous it is uh-huh. on the other hand if we make too much light of it we miss something that really profoundly happened on live television which is an invention of a term that reflects a propagandist way of thinking about how to communicate to the public there is no such thing as alternative facts there are facts and you can have different views on what those facts mean and how important they are and maybe why they they came to be but facts are facts and we have to agree as a society on that um and i can tell you that within the pr industry uh if you look at the code of ethics and other things we're expected to follow uh what kellyanne conway tried to do on live tv yesterday was a blatant violation of that yeah yeah. Uh, okay. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine to join the conversation. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Let's go to Pete in Royal Oak. Pete, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, Stephen. I just hey. wanted to say, you know, I, it's hilarious to me that he's so thin-skinned that nothing can just not be the truth or the best in his mind. And it's clear that the people that work for him have to toe the line or they'll just be put to the side. I mean, that's the only way you come out and lie about something as simple as that. I heard this morning that he claimed that when he was talking, when his inauguration speech started, the rain stopped. And that just wasn't true. (laughs) I mean, the simplest of things he cannot accept. And it's just scary that that's the way it's starting. For four years, this is what we're going to have to deal with. And I feel sorry for the press because really they might as well not go because it is becoming like a third world country where the leader just gets up and says, this is what's going on. And that's it. Yeah. And it's just, it's beyond belief. Yeah. Pete, really is. Pete, thanks very much for that call. I think particularly your, your uh, reference to other countries where this happens routinely is, is, is really key. I mean, if you think of how much time or how many presidencies in this country had to deal with, for instance, Fidel Castro, uh, who was a prolific speaker. I mean, uh, Castro gave lots of speeches, and, and the speeches that he gave went on for hours and hours. Uh, and 
uh, he would, of course, uh, pepper those speeches with falsehoods. I mean, he, he would propel those speeches with falsehoods. Uh, we think of uh, Eastern Bloc countries, uh, strongmen in, in uh, Yugoslavia and places like that in history. Uh, this is the way that, that authoritarians maintain power, or part of the way they maintain power is uh, by telling falsehoods and asserting that uh, that the people who question those falsehoods are somehow the enemy. Um, this is not this is not what we've seen in the, in the past from uh, presidents of the United States. So, Pete, thanks very much for calling in and reminding us of that. Let's go back to the phones here. Terry in Detroit. Terry. Good morning, Stephen. Uh-huh. Stephen, I couldn't agree with your guest more. This is fascism. You know, Donald Trump has been lying through the entirety of his campaign. And let's just call it what it is. It is lying. When our children do it, we tell them, you know, that's what they're doing. And in this case, we need to say that about him. And I think that both Sean Spicer and Kellyanne Conway have shown an incredible lack of integrity over the months that they have been involved with this campaign. The way that they have spun... Uh, stories and information for the entirety of their involvement in the campaign has just been remarkable. They don't. Um, they don't show any integrity. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty frightening, uh, Terry. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the end game is here, either from the side of the administration itself or from the side of, for instance, the press, which is going to have to deal with this or figure out a way to deal with this. Uh, over the next four years, do you stop going to the briefings? Do you stop covering the briefings? In other words, no, you go and you don't write anything that's not true. You don't broadcast anything that's not true. We just have not been in this territory before. And I think there are just, you know, there's a lot of questions. And I think understandable fear on the part of some that that this is a new and dangerous era. But Terry, as always, thanks for, for calling in. Matt Friedman, what, what would you suggest uh, is the answer? What is the proper pushback to this kind of manipulation? I think each or- news organization needs to figure out what their audience needs from this situation and how they're going to deliver it. The one speculative idea that I've heard in recent days is, you know, all of the White House press corps should work together and make a decision about whether or not to cover these briefings. I would advise them, from a PR perspective, to avoid any appearance of collusion, because this administration is already starting to paint the media with a broad brush that they all work together somehow to oppose this administration. We, uh, saw an unnamed source from inside the administration or was the transition team at the time referring to the media as, quote, the opposition party. Anything that might resemble collusion would make the situation worse, not better. So I think each organization needs to decide how are they going to best serve their audience, right. not serve the government, but the audience. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go back to the phones here. Tom, Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning. So we've got a two-word, a, a new word to give a definition to a lie. Is alternate, you know, was it alternate news or whatever? <laughs> alternative facts. I mean, but you know what? <laughs> this is telling us what we're going to be told for the next four years. They're going to be nothing but lies. And I mean, you know, it's I mean, it's real, I imagine it's real difficult on the press's part, I mean, the real press, okay, not the fake press that sits at that podium that's going to give us a 
for them to sit there and try and call, you know, real information. Because, I mean, a fact is a fact. I mean, if my hair is black, it's black. If my nose is flat, it's flat. I'm not going to sit there and got black <laughs> hair, blonde hair, you know, uh, flat nose, pointed nose. I mean, come on. Let's get real here. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think, uh, I think Tom, you raise a really interesting point about uh, the, the difference between um, – uh, manipulation of of your audience of you know the manipulation by a speaker of his or her audience and self kidding. I mean, I, I I'm not sure which parts of this fall into which category. In other words, if if you were to say your hair were blonde or your nose were pointed, that would be an exercise in uh, a certain amount of self kidding. I mean, in, in other words, you may believe uh, those things, although they're not true. It's a little different, uh, in fact, than trying to assert to somebody else uh, that those things are, are, are true. And, and there are different motives there, I think, even uh, involved. And I'm not sure which one we're seeing here. And I guess I'm not saying that it's one or the other. Uh, perhaps there is some level of belief of these things on the part of the president and the people who work for him, uh, which which I think would imply something very different even than the manipulation issue. But but I think that's a really important distinction uh, to draw. And I'm, so I'm glad you called uh, and made that point. Let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, hi, Stephen. Uh-huh. I know I'm going to regret this, but um, I'm, I'm going to uh, trot out at least some very minor defense of Kellyanne Conway. Um, you've been using the, the term or the, the hashtag alternative facts all morning, and that's, that wasn't her word. Uh, she did say alternate facts. Okay, and, Chuck, um, Chuck, so before we – we do have a clip of what she said, so we're going to play that. But before we get to that, I want to know what you think is the difference between alternative facts and alternate facts. What's, why is that a, a more acceptable – well, if Idea. your clip is long enough, it will get to the part where Kellyanne Conway was trying to tell Chuck Todd that part of their great big audience was the TV audience. And I'm not so sure, but what uh, the TV ratings for the Trump inauguration were the biggest ever. No, um, they weren't. But- it was 31 million on television, uh, 38 million in 2009. So, okay. All so right. even that's well, not so. Well, like I said, I knew I would regret defending <laughs> Trump. I always do. It's okay. Um, I, I, but, I mean, but, I'm glad. But, I, I do want to listen to the to the to the clip again. We played it at the top of the show, uh, and I've seen it a couple times. But but I I, I, w- I want to play it and listen again because maybe maybe you're hearing something that I'm not. Let, uh, let's let's listen to what she said. John Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains: alternative facts. Look, alternative facts are not facts. They're falsehoods. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's. She pretty clearly says alternative, uh, and and uh, again, I mean, I'm. I guess I'm not. Still not sure or clear on the idea of the distinction between alternate or alternative facts. Uh, but there, you know, Stephen, there's another thing she said too that I think is really significant. Uh-huh. She said to Chuck Todd, and I'm paraphrasing here: If you keep asking questions like this, I'm going to have to rethink our relationship. Yeah. She threatened to limit access or otherwise modify access to NBC News because she didn't like the question she was being asked, that is completely out of bounds in the real world of PR. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's Matt, of course, talking to that (laughs) there, Matt Friedman. Uh, It is. I mean, it's it's not the way 
that uh, that that anybody sort of deals with the press. And and I, I think one of the things that's also true is if you try to deal with the press in that way, it almost always comes back to sort of splash mud back on you or into your face, right, Matt? I mean, it, almost it, always. And in fact, the only people I know who operate that way are the kind of people who need to go up to their boss's office and brag about what they did to make the boss happy. Nobody ever does it for the purposes of better media relations or, more importantly, better public communication. Yeah. Uh, Chuck, as always, thanks for uh, calling in and uh, making the point. Uh, I'm glad we were able to listen together to what Kellyanne Conway actually said. Uh, again, on the phones, 313-577-1019. You want to join the conversation, talk about uh, alternative facts. Sean Spicer, in his debut as White House press secretary, uh, essentially telling the press uh, a, a number of lies, uh, and then uh, a Trump aide coming out the next day and saying, well, these are alternative facts. Is this how we are going to sort of prosecute the relationship between uh, the administration, the nascent administration, and the press? 313-577-1019. Let's go to Dan in Canton. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi there. Hey. Um I'm just uh, I just want to call and commend you guys on like really tackling this issue from the core. Um, Ed, your previous caller just kind of demonstrated, you know, I don't know a lot of people like this. I'd like to think that I don't, but there's there's probably millions of people out there that just don't really seem to understand the gravity of what's going on here. Um, I, for the record, I was a journalism PR major in college, um, and although I didn't pursue a career in journalism PR, the one thing that stuck with me is is the ethical boundaries that journalists and PR professionals face. And I can't, like, my, like hearing this conversation this morning, like, my head is about to explode because you guys are, like, really getting to the core of it. Um, the one thing that stuck with me of all the education I've got was, you know, you don't report things. Even when you're talking to people, like, you don't even bring things up that are inaccuracies unless you know the facts. And the fact that we're, like, seeing this on the, on, you know, coming from the White House of all places, the rest of the world is laughing at us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, thanks very much for that call and that point. Great, great points uh, to be made there. Uh, Lindsay on Facebook says, I think it's a clever smokescreen for whatever policies and legislative actions are being worked on while we're all busy pointing and laughing at Sean Spicer's ill-fitted suit. Uh, Matt Friedman, I, I, this is, a, this is a, a line that I have seen a lot of, and I think uh, it, it's worth considering whether this is a purposeful uh, sleight of hand. In other words, let's do something ridiculous over here in the realm of the trivial, how many people were at inauguration, so that everybody's talking about that while we're off doing something far more uh, important and maybe even more sinister uh, that people are not paying as much attention to. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen that from other uh, countries, administrations in other countries uh, that, that are more authoritarian. Do you suspect that this is part of what is going on here? It very well could be, and I would hope that journalists would keep that front of mind. And it's important to remember that this country elected a president who spent decades seeking attention in the New York tabloids for things like his sex life. And meanwhile, nobody was paying attention to what he was doing in his business right. uh, in this country and around the world. So it has been a proven technique for this president 
in his business career, and it's something that journalists need to watch out for. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's take uh, one more call here. Tim in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit. Hi. Um, I, I think the call that uh, alternative facts is, is doing a, a disservice to the country. We have to call it lies. <laughs> Donald Trump is setting up a situation. He's going to disbar all credible media, and with the Internet, he can give access to who he wants. That will destroy this country. We need to take it serious, and we need to call things. I mean, the media helped create this monster. Now we're we're paying for it. Now we got to push back. Yeah, uh, Tim, thanks very much uh, for calling and making that point. Uh, let's see if we can get one more call in here. Myrna in Ypsilanti, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, you're all, you're making such great points, and I'm I'm going to say there's an old martial arts saying that if you point your finger at somebody, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. <laughs> and I will say that what I heard Spicer say yesterday was uh, he accused the press of sowing division, peddling a false narrative, and delegitimizing the president. Now, he's got three fingers pointing back at himself. That's exactly what they are doing in doing. the White House. Yeah. They, are trying to, they are trying to sow division, peddle a false narrative, and delegitimize the press. Yeah. No, there's no question that they're, that they're doing that. I think the question is, to what effect and for what purpose? I mean, are, are they doing this as a way of rallying the base that, that really uh, supports Donald Trump and is really enthusiastic about him? Or is it, again, this, this sort of distraction? Watch what I'm doing with this hand so you don't see what I'm doing uh, behind my back with, uh, with another hand. Um, uh, Myrna, thanks very much for that call. We've got a couple more Facebook comments here. Stephanie on Facebook says, Trump and his team have become experts at gaslighting. If, uh, if people are constantly second-guessing reality, it's much harder to see truth. This is why journalists are so important. I fear the future with this man as the president of the United States. James on Facebook, uh, echoing Tim in Detroit, says, everyone should start calling it what it really is lies. Uh, so uh, we've got lots of opinions about that. Um, before I let you go, Matt Friedman, uh, give me some idea of what you expect the press to be doing this week uh, with Sean Spicer coming back in front of them uh, today. Uh, and, and what's the, the strategy over the next four years look like? Well, I will give this from an experienced PR point of view. If you don't think that journalists are getting the story right, the best way to fix that is to let them ask questions. And in your answers to the questions, you can clarify what you think they're getting wrong. Uh, I would hope that these press briefings uh, are a start to get questions answered, and I would hope that members of the administration would be accessible to journalists if they really believe that the journalists aren't getting it right. If yeah. they believe that the journalists aren't pushing the narrative that they want, then I think we um, are going to have to expect that this administration is going to try to work around them as much as possible. And the Obama administration did do that through social media, but they also did that through denying FOIA requests, freedom of information requests. That was not good. Uh, the social media stuff was, was probably just good PR in the modern era. Um, can this administration come up with the right blend that will serve the country well? I I'm pessimistic about it. But um, I'm optimistic that journalists will do their jobs. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Matt Friedman, principal with uh, Tanner Friedman PR firm. As always, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Happy to do it anytime. Yes. I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about more PR blunders in the, in Washington over the next couple of months. Uh, all right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about businesses who are moving to Detroit in the coming year. A surprising list of big companies who say the home the, uh, their home will be here in the Motor City. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.